five, four, three, two, one. Is the season right? College football coming back this weekend. The Yankees, for the first time in my 37 plus years on this planet, are an unwatchable football team. Aaron Rodgers getting ready to roll Saturday night in the preseason finale against the New York Giants. So that's going to be at least for a series or perhaps a few more. And we'll hear some uh, quotes from Rob Sala later in the program. That's going to be must see TV. And then in addition to college football being back, you've got the season starting overseas in Ireland. Notre Dame and Navy haven't played against one another there since 2012. They'll do it all again Saturday afternoon, 2.30 p.m. on the East Coast. Welcome to the Friday edition, August 25th of Sports Today with Peter J. Three-week hiatus, had some family time. I was doing some deck work with my friend and his father-in-law, we built a brand new deck in the backyard. So that took um, some much needed time. Uh, obviously the family time, I got the little one running around the house now. She just turned one. She's all over the place. So it's good to be back after three weeks and time to come back. And I- I'm going to start right here uh, in Major League Baseball. Uh, you got about five weeks left in the regular season. Right? You-, you follow the league, you know that. And the races are, are-, are building up. Now the Anaheim Angels are out of this thing. They're 10 and a half games back in the wild card hunt. Yankees are 10 back. I get the math is still there. It's not going to happen. Season's done for Anaheim. It's done for the Yankees. More on that in a couple minutes. But Shohei Otani, this was the biggest news of the week. And this, and, and this comes as news that it, it, it obviously is newsworthy. He's not going to pitch the remainder of the season because he tore his UCL in his throwing arm. And that's a problem. Now, that being said, the Angels are, are going to play the Mets tonight. And Otani's expected to be in the lineup as an offensive at the DH spot. Surgery, we don't know. All reports indicated that is something that is still on the table, but there is no, certainly no timeline, and there hasn't been a decision yet made on what will happen with Otani. Now, obviously, because of who it is, generational talent, two-way player, this is big news. But think about this. From an L perspective, got the, the beautiful ballpark, you've got the finances, you've got the fan base that is thirsting to be a contender again. And until about a week and a half ago, two weeks, they were. Decided not to trade Otani this offseason. You lose him in free agency, 
after receiving nothing in return when you could have potentially done it during this trade deadline? If this is going to be one of those what-if moments or hate to have. Because while it would have been certainly hard to move on from a player that we've never seen before like this, and we may never see again, oh, by the way, he's got another generational talent and Mike Trout on his team. Anaheim did have an opportunity to get some major value back. Every single team in the league was interested, specifically the Dodgers, the Mets, the Yankees, the Astros. Wanting to play on the West Coast and stay on the West Coast, if that's true, the Yankees and the Mets this offseason. But you had the opportunity there for Anaheim. Now, I can appreciate management and ownership saying that they wanted to do right by that fan base and stay in this race. Meaning, we're not moving the guy. And they didn't. Now you have this offensive player. So he's a one-way player now. He's not pitching the rest of the year. We'll see if he needs surgery. So that was kind of the biggest news off the field um, this week. But again, with just over you know a month plus, five plus weeks remaining in the season, you can start to look at these races now. And I'll break down what the playoff field would look like today if it started. But you look around the league, uh, you want to do one of those who's hot, who's not. And it's and it starts right here in the American League East. You've been pounding the flesh all year with how good this division is. The top three teams in the division, Baltimore, Tampa, Toronto, all 12 games or better above 500. Over their last 10, the, the Orioles and Jay and Rays, 7-3. and three. They're 1-2 in the AL East. Boston, by the way, 68-60. and 60. Still very much in the hunt. They've won seven of their last 11. The Texas Rangers, 72 and 55, have been the complete opposite of what you have behind them in Seattle and Houston. Playoff start today is the two seed in the American League, but they've dropped seven in a row, two and eight over their last 10. Well, all the Mariners have done, you heard it in the, in the, in the opening, they've had a seven-win streak, loss, followed by an eight-game win streak. They continue to win. And then you have the Houston Astros. Seattle, Houston, a game back of Texas as we get down to the wire here. So things are starting to heat up. Atlanta has been magnificent all season in the National League. 82-44, and 44, 13 games clear of the Philadelphia Phillies in that division. And Philly and Miami continue to battle for wildcard positioning. You look in the Central, Milwaukee, winners of five straight. The Cubs have won two straight as they remain in the race. Chicago and Cincinnati in that NL Central. And I've been high on the Reds all season. Are three and four games out of the top spot, respectively. It's all said and done, this wildcard picture. I do think the Cincinnati Reds are going to find a way to get in. Right now, barely on the outside looking in, I think they'll find a way to leak in. And then the, the Dodgers have a commanding lead in the West at 78 and 48. But the Diamondbacks, after struggling a little bit, you know, I've also said it before, I said weeks ago, and it looked like I had a little bit of egg on my face, that I thought this Diamondback team, even ahead of schedule with some of the pitching and good young talent they had patrolling the outfield, were a legitimate contender. Then they went on a huge losing streak. 
well, all they've done the last couple of days is win five in a row, eight of their last 10, and then are firmly entrenched back in this wild card spot. The teams that continue to struggle. The Yankees are playing awful baseball. The Mets have nothing going. I mentioned the Texas Rangers, but they're going to be fine. They're a playoff team. And you look at Philadelphia and Miami teetering lately. But this is what ha- this is the moment. All right, we're a week away from September. This is where it starts to get fun. And this is where you'll start to see these late season series of magnitude and importance take on just all. We're going to get down to a series late in the season where it's basically win or go home. And that's what's going to make it fun. Whether you're the Mariners, the Astros, perhaps a team like the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, the Miami Marlins. All of these things are going to play out one way or the other down the stretch. So here's what the field looks like today. Top seed in the American League, the Orioles. They get a first round bye. Followed by the two seed, the Texas Rangers. Two good teams. Rangers not lately, but you know what you have with them. I think the sample size with the Texas Rangers is this year with the way they're managed and what they roll out there every day that you could be legitimate contenders and take that team seriously. But today, your first wild card would be the three-seeded Twins out of that awful AL Central against the Astros as the six. Number four, Tampa Bay would play Seattle. That's a hell of an American League right now. That's loaded with great pitching and really, really good offense. Now flip to the National League. You got the Braves and the Dodgers, one and two. No surprises there. They've basically been that all season. The would play the D-backs right now, and the Phillies would play the Cubs. So it's that last wild card spot, those last two wild card spots in the National League where you get the flip-flop. Now in the AL, you've got the Jays, the Red Sox, still very much in the mix. But it's going to be even more interesting, in my opinion. This is where, why I keep saying, I think the Reds are going to play into this thing. And as we go through the program the last couple of weeks, we'll start to get into what certain teams have remaining on their schedule from an opposition standpoint. But you have the Giants, Marlins, and the Reds still very much in the thick of this. And it almost seems on a night-to-night basis, these standings change. And folks, that's going to continue to happen now. You've got the Phillies, you've got the Cubs, you've got the Diamondbacks as the wild card sitters right now in the National League. San Francisco, Cincinnati, half game back. Miami, two games back. Now the San Diego Padres, six back, under 500. They're done. You'll get the Yankees, 10 back, five under five. They're done. But you're, the teams that you're going to watch down the stretch, American League, Tampa, Seattle, Houston, those are your wild card leagues right now. Folks, I think that's what is going to happen. I think those will be your wild card teams in the AL. You ask me today who I think the National League wild card teams, I'm pretty comfortable taking Philadelphia. I've already said I think the Reds get in there. And then I think somehow Arizona hangs on and the Cubs miss out on this. The Cubs and the Giants miss out. So do the Marlins. Good teams, bright futures, good young talent. I just think it's Philly, Arizona, Cincinnati that's going to come wild card spot in the National League. I, again, I've been super high on the Reds all year after one of the probably the worst season in franchise history last year. The turnaround that they've had this year has been remarkable. 
And if you're looking for those fun storylines, I mean, the Cubs have been good. The Pirates were good in the beginning of the season. You you you, you kind of figured that wasn't going to hold th- through at 57 and 71, whatever they are now, out of the picture. But there were fun stories. Folks, there's good teams in baseball that won't sniff the postseason this year. The Nationals have some good young talent. The Padres, and along with the Yankees and the Mets, are probably the three biggest disappointments in the league. The Detroit Tigers have some good young talent. The Cleveland Guardians, underachieving, I get it, but there is talent on that team as well. So this has been a fun year, depending on what side of that spectrum or what side of the aisle uh, you're viewing from. And I think when it comes down to it, this postseason is going to be one that we'll remember for a while because you're going to see a, if an, an Arizona team gets in, this young Arizona Diamondbacks team with a pitcher like Zach Gallen, a healthy Corbin Carroll, and this is a team that can do damage. We know what the Braves offer. We know what the Dodgers offer. The Cincinnati Reds, if they can get Jonathan India healthy with what Ellie De La Cruz has meant, that's huge. Up the middle play there would be phenomenal in that National League. They could be problematic. India's been out for the last month or so as he continues to rehab uh, from a lower body injury. So it's going to start to get interesting. But one of those really good stories this year has been those Cincinnati Reds. And they're definitely now going to be a team that we have to pay attention to as this thing continues with just a couple of weeks left in the season. Because again, I'll say it one more time. This is when it starts to get fun. And the Cincinnati Reds haven't caused nearly as many headaches this season as another we're about to talk about. You know, it's been a disaster this season. Um, it's a, definitely a shock. Certainly, I don't think anybody on our side of the fence, uh, from our player group, from our coaches, our manager, would have predicted this. So. We're not mathematically eliminated, but we're certainly in a bad spot. Clearly, uh, you know, if you go on any of those sites, one percent, whatever those, it's it's pretty minute. Recognize that. Uh, what do I expect is, you know, for us to continue to find ways to do everything or power to compete. One percent chance. How about zero? It's over. The season's over. Disaster. The optimal word to describe what the Yankees have done on the diamond this season. You go back a couple of days, dropping two of three to the Nationals team. Again, there's some good young talent on that Washington team. As constituted this year, they're a bad team. And if you watched yesterday's loss, that was a microcosm of the Yankees season. They led 5-1. They're up in the seventh inning. Everything's going well. Aaron Judge, another home run to start the game. He had four across his last two games. Glaber Torres. He uh, recorded his fourth career 20-homer season. They've really been the only two good bright spots on this team offensively. 7-1 at home. uh, 5-1 in the seventh inning. And they lose the game 6-5. I'm doing my notes for the show. And yesterday my wife was at work. I'm home. I'm watching my daughter. We're playing. We're going for a walk. I'm home. She's chilling out. I'm doing my notes. And I totally forget about the Yankee game. I put on one of her shows. They were up 5-1. Now, I go back later. I'm like, let me look at the Yankees' numbers across the last 10. And ESPN's got it up that the Yankees L1. It means they lost one. I'm like, wait a second. I have a one-game losing streak. I'm assuming that they held on and won the game. 
Then I go back and look at the highlights in the box score, and I see the dumpster fire that took place in the seventh inning. Tommy Canely was horrendous. Two-thirds of an inning, three hits, three earned runs, gave up two home runs. One to C.J. Abrams, a good young middle infielder for Washington. But I'm sorry, it's inexcusable. There was a bright spot yesterday outside of the offense for the Yankees. Michael King gets to start. And he hasn't been quiet about his desire to want to be a starting pitcher in the majors. Two and two-thirds, a hit, no earned runs, three Ks. Now, that might be a glimpse in the foreseeable future for the Yankees. Because while they certainly need offensive help, particularly in that outfield and at third base, they need starting pitching depth and reliability. And as as dead set as many people would have been about removing Michael King from that bullpen, if this might be a little look into the future, let's see what the Yankees have here with Michael King. Because he wasn't the problem yesterday. Blowing a 4-1 lead, 5-1 lead in the seventh inning at home against a bad team. You know, maybe the Yankees are that team on the opposition schedule where you say, hey, you know what? We need to pick up a win. This is the team we should beat. That used to never be the mindset, right? The Yankees were the team that was going to club you. Now they're the ones that are getting clubbed. It's embarrassing. And you want to know what's going to change with this, quote, disaster that Brian Cashman has referred to it as. Well, you can help yourself now. Mathematically not eliminated. I get it. It's over. It's not going to happen at 61 and 66, 10 back in the wild card. It's not happening. Quite honestly, if they did have this miraculous comeback, it would be the worst possible thing that could happen to the franchise because then they would say, all right, we figured it out. We're good. Let's move forward. Status quo. That would be the nightmare. And that is the nightmare that I think is facing many Yankee fans now. Why wouldn't we make serious, legitimate, eye-opening, jarring changes? It's going to be a tough sell for many. And Brian Cashman, one bad year over the last 26, that's a damn good resume. Aaron Boone's win percentage as Yankee manager is right up there at the top. But you can see this for what it is. This has become a circus. There's no flair on this team. And the refusal to play the youngsters until lately was not only wrong, it was insulting. Because now you're going to have to see what you have in your young talent. Everson Pereira is going to be here, play him. Oswald Peraza is going to be here, play him. Michael King should start. Estevan Florial, I still cannot figure out why that young man is Because his last tenure in the bigs, which was short, He struck out too much. That's a joke. The kid's 25 years old, and he's been raking in the minors. And you know what? Up to AAA earlier in the week, maybe you see Jason Dominguez ahead of schedule. Because there is certainly talent on this team. And you're stuck by with Anthony Volpe, who, in my opinion, from what I've seen, I know the batting average is low. This kid's not going to be a 210 career hitter. He's just... He's got the pop, he can run, and the glove has been better. And they stuck with him. Well, instead of trucking out these dinosaurs with these catastrophically high contracts, the Donaldsons of the world, the Stantons of the world, Rizzo, though I like him, you understand where I'm coming from, LeMayhew to an extent, play these damn kids. 
These are the same prospects the Yankees don't want to trade, yet they never use them. And I don't have an answer. And I like to think I have answers for a lot of things. I have no explanation for why we have to continue to have the same damn conversation about this Yankee team because you hear it in the press, you hear it from the powers that be, and nothing changes. Quite honestly, I was refreshed when Brian Cashman went into that press conference and used the word disaster. That surprised me that he would say that. But he's right, and he's being honest. And it's a disaster that he's the architect of. And if they're going to do this next year where you come in, look at it. For example, starting rotation next year as constituted right now probably would be this. Garrett Cole, you're fine there. He's on the mound tonight. Yankees open up a set uh, in St. Pete with Tampa Bay, a team they historically, at least lately, have not played well against. So you'd have Garrett Cole, Nesta Cortez, fine. What are you doing with Luis Severino? I know he bounced back the other day, but you're hinging your wagon to him. Carlos Rodon has been that good. He's your fourth, probably. King, you still have to con- uh, consider in the bullpen now. And then Frankie Montes, what the hell's going on there? You look at some of the moves Brian Cashman has made to bolster this team outside of Aaron Judge, which a lot of people didn't like. I, I mean, he's, you talk about generational talents. I mean, this, this guy is unbelievable. And he's doing it on a bad team now. Still can't when he hits. So outside of that Montas, Rodon, minuscule bullpen moves, bloated contracts, the likes of Josh Donaldson, DJ LeMay, who clearly fading, Anthony Rizzo, uh, career horrendous year for him. Plus the injuries now. You don't call for people to lose their jobs. But what has Brian Cashman done that says, hey, you know, he's going to be back next year? Because, folks, you want a prediction from me? He is going to be back next year. And I understand that one bad year across his career is not enough to really get the axe to the neck. I'm a reasonable guy. But let's think about this legitimate. Yankees get to the ALCS a year ago, and they forget how to hit the baseball. They have that electrifying start in the beginning, first half of the season from that moment on to now, 200-plus games. They're a sub-500 baseball team. That's a problem. That's a big sample size. And the fact that, that there isn't more of a panic within the organization around this is head-scratching. Yankees finish under 500 this season. It would be the first time since 1992 that that happened when guys like Deion James were running around the outfield. Now you got freaking Billy McKinney and Jake Bowers. I mean, give me a break. Team's going to make money, and that's what they're going to care about. I get it's a business, but you also have a responsibility to the guys in that clubhouse and for the people who put their asses in the seats in the Bronx. And just to say that everything will work itself out after this quote-unquote disaster, that's not good enough anymore. You would have to think Aaron is probably gone. Is this him entirely? No. But they're all culpable. Things need to change. It won't always be popular. Sometimes it might not always be the right thing to do necessarily from a PR perspective, if you will. 
dire need of change. And if you haven't realized it by now, you're never going to realize it. And if we don't see more of the kids now with five weeks left in the season, 10 games after the wild card, you're never going to see it. If it doesn't start changing now, it's going to be like this for the foreseeable future. Uh, Mike on the line. Mike, what's up, man? How you doing? Yeah. Hi, Pete. How you doing? I tell right. you, I agree with everything you're saying. And one thing that scares me is that, well, they're going to bring back Cashman. Obviously, he's like one of the family. It's a no-brainer. He's coming back. George yeah, liked then, him more than his kids. And if they bring Boone back, well, then nothing's going to change. That scares me. And like they talk about, well, the Japanese monster who just hurt his elbow, he, he's, he, maybe he can't pitch anymore, but he can hit. The Yankees can't, th can't look at him because Stanton's their permanent DH. So you can't sign him. These There's not a lot of a wiggle room financially at the moment because they have no. the bloated contracts with guys that are up there in age. And it, I've been on the record multiple times. I'm a John Carlos Stanton fan. But if he can't stay on the field, he's not going to produce. At this point, you've got to figure something out. The other one that kills you is Donaldson. Yeah. That was $50 million down the drain. The judge contracted something for nine years, 300 mil, captain of your team. I, I, great. You, you, you're you right. going to have to splash in the pool every now and then. You, you have Absolutely. to do it. All right? Absolutely. And, and that, if you're going to do it, that's the guy to do it for. But it, right. to, to me, around the diamond, in the rotation, there's been offensive negligence on the part of Brian Cashman. That really rubs me, and I'm 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 hoping millions of Yankee fans that see this not to do your homework with the Montas thing. I don't know that I'll ever get over it. Yeah, because true, it can't true. happen, especially with what happened to Rodon, and that's not that kid's fault. Rodon, at 29 years old, he's not a kid, but you, you understand what I'm saying. The, yes, I understand. The back injuries over and over and over again. That's a freak thing. But I have not been impressed with anything Brian Cashman has done. Let's say for the no. last five years. That's yeah. that's enough for me to say, hey, maybe, maybe it's time and maybe it's time for Brian Cashman too, by the way. Yes, because he's here twenty-five years. He's here longer than Casey Stengel, for heaven's sake. I think it's time to move on and get a different voice. And I think also they have to revamp their their analytics department. I understand every team uses analytics. Mm -hmm. You have to do it, but Maybe your analytics stink. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. they're not good. There's clearly a, a, a place in this game. Obviously, it's it's almost taken over the, the, in the analytics field. Um, you know, but statistics like WAR, uh, you know, the wins above replacements that that everybody falls in love with. There needs to be that old school element of well, giving you when he's on the field right in front of your face. And if the Yankees need to revamp what's on in front of their f faces on that field in any given moment, then yeah, they probably will need to bolster what they're doing from an analytical perspective also, because it's clearly not working. That's true. And you know, Steinbrenner owns the team. And I feel in my heart that he's happy as long as they get 40,000 fans a game. Every game you see, they got 40,000 fans a game. If they squeeze into the playoffs, good enough. And it's a shame as a fan, that's not enough for me. And look, they're going to continue to get 
the butts in the seats. Uh, saw the Washington game yesterday on a, a beautiful Thursday afternoon in New York City. It it was it was packed, um, yeah. and, and this is going to be that unless the wheels completely fall off, people are going to go to these games. That's right, and uh, you know nothing's going to change. But uh, Mike, as always, thank you for the call. We appreciate it. Okay, um, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Pete. All right, Mike. Uh, yeah, it, look, it, that's a good point too. With people are going to go to the games, and, and I'm not going to criticize because I'm going to go just because it's a fun night out. Now, just because I might be miserable when they're losing and get all pissy and moany, you know, my, my my wife my wife's gone on walks when we're at games because I I get so hell bent. Um, I'm not I'm not proud of that. I'm not not proud of that. Uh, it comes with being a fan, right? Fanatic. Um, but until mass, there's going to be no pizzazz. There's going to be no charisma going to these games. Um, and the Yankees have a lot to consider. Um, as they move forward, uh, and as we move forward with the program, uh, just shy of 7.30 p.m. Friday, August 25th on the East Coast. Uh, again, we thank you for tuning into Sports Today with Peter J. Huge news as we transition to the NFL. This just came across. The 49ers are sending former number three overall pick quarterback Trey Lance to the Dallas Cowboys for a mid-round selection. This is interesting because you know how the Dallas fan base works. And believe me, I try not to be too much of a homer on this program, but I've said it and I will continue to say it, especially with football season upon us. There is not an organization, a team I despise more in sports than the Dallas Cowboys. And you know how this fan base is going to react. The minute Dak Prescott does something dumb, throws a pass he shouldn't have thrown, they are going to be clamoring now for Trey Lance. So this is going to be an interesting dynamic. It makes sense. It gives Dallas depth at quarterback, but they are going to be kicking in the door the moment the wheels even look like they might start falling off in Dallas with Dak. And speaking of quarterbacks, uh, we're going to get a big debut tomorrow night from Aaron Rodgers in the preseason finale for the Jets against the New York Giants. Head coach Salah had this to say during the week about how much he expects his new quarterback and future Hall of Famer to play Saturday. I want to get a couple of transitions, so make adjustments, come back out, make some more, uh, uh, come back out after the adjustment times. But I, I also know me in the middle of a game, if it goes nine plays and it goes the way we want on the first drive, I'll just say, pull them. Yeah, if, if Aaron Rodgers goes out there tomorrow night against the Giants and, you know, more on, on both teams coming up in this segment as we transition to the NFL, um, if Rodgers goes out tomorrow night, again, for those listening live uh, on Saturday, and has a drive like Daniel Giants, owns eight of nine, 65 plus yards, incomplete pass was a drop by Waller, um, and, he, and he, Daniel Bellinger, the tight end for a touchdown, he's going to get yanked. And that's what should happen. And the, and the thing that works here for the Jets is there's so much talent on this team from a veteran perspective that a series or two might be enough. And, and the good news for the Jets, really going into this game against the Giants, yeah, it, it, it's going to be big time for Jet fans either at that game tomorrow, watching from home or tailgating in a lot, whatever they're going to see number eight for the first time. But you're going to be paying attention to the Jets' O-line tomorrow night because there's good news there. 
They're starting guards. Lake and Tomlinson on the left side. Elijah Vera Tucker on the right side. Came back to action during practice this week on Tuesday. So there's a starting unit right up the gut of that offensive line. And the Jets' offensive line is going to be a starting unit that should feature this. Left tackle is going to be Dwayne Brown. Your center is going to be Connor McGovern. And your right tackle is going to be Makai Becton, who, despite what you may think of him, has looked much improved this season, this offseason. And you should get your first full look at this unit against the New York Giants. That's a, that's a big deal, and that is big news for the New York Jets. To not only see your star quarterback for the first time, but have him playing with the offensive line that he's expected to roll out with during the regular season is huge, especially from that guard perspective with Tomlinson and AVT back on the field. The Jets did a great job. Now, we don't know how this is going to go. But this was probably one of the most well thought out and approached off seasons that the Jets have had in a long time. Because from a talent perspective, over the past few weeks, you're bringing in veteran talent. Dalvin Cook, you're probably going to see him tomorrow as well. You bring over Lazard. I know he's been banged up. Randall Cobb's been in the league forever. Could help you on special teams as well. And they know how to work with Rodgers. You bring those guys in among others, it helps these younger guys, right? You already have a veteran center in Connor McGovern. Now, perhaps some of this new leadership now might help a guy like Makai Becton, who the Jets are going to need. They're going to need him to be productive on that offensive line if the Jets are going to go where they want to go. Aaron Rodgers is mobile. He's quick. You know, Mike Kafka, the Giants, was talking about him uh, earlier uh, in, during the day in a press conference. said, when you watch him from that quarterback position, very few or very seldom will a blitz get to Aaron Rodgers. Now, he's 39 years old, but he still moves well. And the fact that he moves well is why Kafka said what he said. It's hard to bring a blitz on the guy because he's so mobile in the pocket. And he gets the ball out quickly. That's another offensive coordinator talking about uh, a fellow quarterback, Kafka, back in his day, was a great quarterback. So the guy knows what he's talking about. Now, you can protect this guy even more. This is going to be the type of season Jets fans remember for a long time. Because that defense is good. It's a Jet defense again. We saw that last year. We saw that last year on a team that only won seven games with quarterback hell. And if they are able to protect Aaron Rodgers, and that's been a storyline, and that has been a necessary storyline. If they're able to do that, and again, we should get the first full view of this entire unit in some capacity against the Giants to wind down the preseason, this Jets team is going to do some damn good things this season. The team they play, a lot of people are high on as well. We talk about the Giants. Now, with the final week of the preseason upon us, uh, the start of the season, September 7th, right around the corner, the Giants made news yesterday as well. They brought in hybrid safety linebacker Isaiah Simmons from the Cardinals. Simmons was the former eighth pick in the draft. 25 years old, Giants had to give up a seventh rounder to go get him. 
How's he fit? Well, he gives Wink Martindale another toy in that defense. Now, early reports uh, from Giants.com and CBS Sports have indicated that the former Clemson star is going to play primarily at the linebacker position, which is huge. Already brought in Bobby Okereke in the offseason from the Colts. You have a great athlete now in Isaiah Simmons, who getting him out of Arizona is probably going to help the kid because that franchise just continues to be an, uh, an abjunct disaster. And more on that in a minute. But you've got this acquisition now of a young linebacker hybrid who can bolster the defense and get after it. And you go back a week, I know it's the preseason. You can't tell me the last time you saw an offense on the Giants clicking like that. I mean, if this is the Darren Waller that the Giants are going to get, whoa. I know he had the drop, and that was Jones' only incompletion. Three catches for 33 yards, and he was open by two, three yards each time. Daniel Jones was effective. He was protected as well. And that's the big thing. No team in the NFL, folks, is going to be successful with a crap offensive line. I'm not saying that. But the Giants' offensive line woes have been pretty well documented prior to last season. And it was better, but not great. You want to see the growth from uh, from Evan Neal. You've got the rookie center, John Michael Schmitz, coming in from Minnesota, who looks like he's going to be your opening day starter at center. And then you you may have the best left tackle in football in Andrew Thomas. You know, Mark Lewinsky at the guard spot uh, might leave some to be desired. Ben Bredesen uh, could very well sneak himself back into a starting role. Josh Izudu, uh, back and healthy, the youngster from North Carolina, could come back into the forefront. All of these guys are going to play. It's just a matter of how well they play together when they're on the field. You have Barkley in the fold with a Waller. Jalen Hyatt continues to develop um, on a seemingly day-to-day basis for this team. And when you look at what they're offering, the Giants are probably roll out Thomas, Bredesen, Schmitz, Glowinski, Neal as their offensive line. Could Azudu supplant Bredesen at the left guard position? Perhaps. I would tell you from a Giant fan perspective with Shane Lemieux, on this team. He's brutal in some instances up front. But you've got Barkley, Brita, Isaiah Hodgins, who fans are expecting a lot from. Paris Campbell comes over. Darius Slayton, the veteran on this team. And then a healthy Sterling Shepard. You know, there's talent all over the field. You sprinkle in the veterans, the guys like Jamison Crowder, Cole Beasley, uh, Wandale Robinson, the youngster from Kentucky, last year's second-round pick, still on the uh, the pup list. This is a pretty good offense. And if Daniel Jones is going to command it the way he did last week, and even if you go back to that Minnesota game in the playoffs, you know, why can't this be another season of legitimate Giants football? Loaded up front. Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence. What I will say from the linebacker position, and this depth chart will change now with um, Simfold, I think this is a big year for Aziz Ojolari. You want to get that pass rush working with Kayvon Thibodeau 
And Bobby Okereke certainly brings something to that from the linebacker position as he's in the middle. Uh, Darian Beavers was a, was a highly touted rookie a year ago, out for the season due to injury. He's back. I expect him to be a starter as well. But this is a big year for Aziz Ojolari. Hasn't really lived up to some of the hype coming out of college as since his rookie year, and a lot of that has been due to injury. And if it doesn't happen this year for Ojolari, when is it going to? You know, from the Giants' perspective, just as a, and we'll, we'll certainly get more into the entire league, breaking down depth charts, Jets, Giants, Eagles, the every team uh, across the league. Um, but since you got this big Jets-Giants preseason game tomorrow, uh, I wanted to get into this a little bit. But this will be a big year for Aziz Ojolari, in, in, and especially in year two with Kayvon Thibodeau, to see how this Giants pass rush evolves. And you could very well see outside the Giants starting two at the corner position in Deontay Banks, who was their first-round pick, and Trey Hawkins, the kid from ODU, who was a six-round pick. Because this kid, for all the talk around Banks, who settled in nicely, this kid Hawkins has looked like a starter from day one. Jordan Riley, another defensive tackle up front, has had a nice offseason. Bounced around in college as a rookie. Looks like he's going to make this team. But there's good young talent across the board with this giant. I expect him to be a playoff squad once again, led by Daniel Jones. I don't really think there's any reason for it. They're well coached. This organization has a heartbeat again, folks. And that was something before Brian Dable and Joe Shane came aboard that they were missing, right? There's a pulse again in East Rutherford, and that's big time. Now, I think they, why can't they compete with a team like the Dallas Cowboys? They're clearly better than Washington. Eagles are good. How good will a drive away from winning a Super Bowl last year? And obviously, we know that they hammered the Giants when they met them in the playoffs. So I don't know how much you'll, more about this giant team tomorrow, but you will see some things from the Jets, specifically how Rodgers works with this offensive line in front of them that they're expecting to roll out week one when the Jets play the Bills. So it's going to be interesting. So you'll, you'll probably learn more about the Jets tomorrow than you will the Giants. And just some news from around the league as well. I mentioned that Arizona Cardinal disaster, and it continues to be a disaster. It looks like Kyler Murray, the quarterback, could miss the entire year now. This is what they're saying in the press. It wasn't too long ago that he signed that five-year, $230 million whatever. Only made 11 starts for his ACL. And then you see that Arizona trades for former Browns quarterback. Now, to compete with McCoy, and Rookie Clayton Cooney, the commander out of Houston, uh, for this party spot in Arizona. Things just keep getting murky, murkier uh, out there in Glendale. Nick Bosa continues to hold out with the 49ers. That's his defensive player of the year. Uh, this guy's going to get paid. We know that. John Lynch, GM of the club, said that himself. He's a special player, special players with a special contract. Yeah, again, we, you know, I, I mentioned in five weeks left in this season how exciting things get. Now things start to really pick up in the NFL, and not just on the court. What's happening off most ball now? Kyler Murray now. 
you might miss the entire season. And then let's go to Indianapolis with Jonathan Taylor Because now it looks like Miami Dolphins are heavily interested. And what that punch. We had read earlier in the week that the Dolphins' initial offer for Jonathan Taylor was denied, but talks continue. Um, so this is definitely something uh, worth keeping an eye on uh, as, as this continues to go. This name that it's allegedly available um, as the season is is coming, uh, or the preseason is coming to a close. Uh, with that being said, we got another caller on the line. Uh, Vin, Vin, what's going on, man? Is there music in the background? What's going on? Yeah, Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, a lot of you music in the background. What's up? Well, it's a radio show. What's going on? <laughs> what's oh, nothing, up? Nothing. Uh, I want you to play that Robert Salaf take again for me, right? His quotes to the media. Ball His yeah, quotes to the media. Yeah. yeah, just play that. I want to get a couple of transitions, so go to the sideline, make adjustments, come back out, make some more, uh, uh, come back out after the adjustments are made, do that a couple of times. But I, I also know me in the middle of a game, if it goes nine plays and it goes the way we want on the first drive, I'll just say, pull them. Go ahead. <laughs> what does that even mean? First of all, Dalvin Cook's not playing. Reese Hall's not playing. Al Lazard's not playing. Yeah, Wayne Brown's been banged up for a while. Yeah. Yeah, but the run, the two starting running backs are not playing. Lazard's not playing. Dwayne Brown's not playing. Week one, hopefully. ABT might not be playing. They got this game for him to play is useless. What is he going to get out of two series? Tell me, what, what could he? The only thing he could get out of two series is getting hurt. There's nothing positive. It's all optics. That's why the Giants are good and they're going to stay. Because everything the Jets do is about how it looks. Robert Salar is about how he looks, how he sounds on the sidelines. Babel is it, goes about his business, and that's why the Giants are getting things done. That's why the Giants get things done. You there, Pete? Well, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I, I, I think it there, there is a method here that you, you probably should, in there's some no, capacity, at least get no, Rodgers a little bit no, wrong. There's nothing, nothing. Good or bad, nothing good comes out of it. Two what? Is and two then, series, but the injury thing never goes two, away either. Yeah, but what is right, two series going to do? That's a risk him? every team has. But what does series do for him two weeks from now, September 11th? Nothing. He hasn't played a preseason game since 2018. He won two MVPs in the next two years. It's yeah. All about optics. It's all about. It's all about the big show. The Jets are all about the big show. That's all they're about. They got so many questions. This offensive line is a, is a disaster. Number one, Wayne Brown, 38 years old, coming off an injury. You don't know how yeah. he's going to hold up. Makai Becton has looked decent, I got to say. He has looked good. His knee's, not, his knee's not holding up. There's no way his knee's holding up. ABT and Tomlinson, both coming off injuries. You know, their depth at the offensive line, their backups are terrible. They're terrible. You're not going to see Brees Hall to a week five. He's still he's practicing. They took him off the pup list the day they signed Cook. That was another thing that was all optics to make him happy. He hasn't taken a he hasn't taken one hit yet. You won't see him till week four, probably week five. Everything the Jets I'm watching this, I'm watching hard knocks. I hate to be a Jets hater, but it just seems everything is about the show. 
It's about the show. And I don't hear one thing from the Giants. All I hear, the, the Giants just go to work, bring their lunch pail, and that's every – the law's got to start coaching sooner or later, not just saying things. All he does is say stuff, you know? Just, you, hear, you hear any good coaches talk as much as this guy, seriously? Well, I mean, I, there definitely is. Just yeah. to the defense of the organization you know, here, this is the type of, of year, season, Jet fans have been dreaming about for decades. They're dreaming about their schedule. Their schedule is absolutely and utterly brutal. It is going to take time for this offense to click. It is going to take weeks upon weeks for that offense to click. And they don't have weeks because they got Buffalo, Dallas, the Patriots. And it's it's not going to be easy, but it, it, it does. It, it is certainly going to help them who is under center. I mean, that's. Oh, you got a, listen, one of the all-time I, greats. Rodgers, yeah, but he wasn't good last year. And he's 39 years old going up. He was not good last year, and he's not as mobile as he once was. I heard you talk about him. He's not even close to the guy he was 10 years ago. Well, no, that's, of course not. Not at 39 years old, but the guy's still – and he gets the ball out quick. And I and I think that's what is, yeah, yeah, is so essential yeah, yeah. to this Jets team listen. if they keep him up with the trees blocking for him. I'll tell you the guy that the guy that I'm severely impressed with with the Jets is that Wilson is. I'm watching him on these. This kid's a stud. He is yes, an he absolute is. stud. He's a stud, and they got they they're like defensive linemen deep. They got like nine defensive linemen that could start on any team. Their defensive line is deep. They're very weak at linebacker, and they're, they're weak at tight end. You know, it, it's a seven-eight, it's a seven-eight game winning season for the Jets. The schedule's too hard. Well, but, listen, we're, we're going to find out sooner or later when they open up on the eleventh with the Bills. Yes, yeah, I mean the Bills are in, the Bills are in turmoil too, though. The Bills are the Bills got a lot of turmoil going on as, as well. You know, their no, coaches. I, hear you. I mean, this thing with Diggs and uh, this thing ain't. They keep saying it's nothing, but it's something. You know, I mean. They seem to be floundering as well, but I don't know. I, I, I love the way the Giants look this year. I mean, Daniel Jones looks like he put on 10 pounds of muscle. He just looks bigger and stronger. He just looks like he's got command over the offense, and his, his confidence has gone through the roof. And that's what you said before. This, that's coaching. That's coaching. You know, can I say one more thing about the Jets? Of course. Now, Go you ahead. saw that run Zach Wilson made last week, right? I did. These guys didn't know this guy could run like that. These guys didn't know he could run like that last year, last two years. Not too many quarterbacks could pull off a run like that. I mean, am I right or wrong? I I haven't really disagreed too much with you with the Zach Wills. I think we're in a kind of a league of our own there, Vin. Yeah, but I'm saying, did you see the run he made last week? You're telling me these coaches didn't know. Yeah, I think that was some – I I had seen a couple of comments uh, about the fact that this might have been some type of secret or just negligence that no one knew he was that mobile. I mean, he made a couple of runs last year too. And, and, but did you see when Dable came in, he knew Dave, Daniel Jones could run. I mean, Daniel Jones rushed for what? 800 yards last year. Yeah. You know, this, this is why it's all about coaching. And I mean, the giants are just lucky to have Dable. The Jaguars are lucky to have Peterson. The Eagles are lucky to have Sirianni. You know, the chiefs are lucky to have it's all about coaching in this league. Yeah. 
my prediction is Salah won't be around by week 10. He'll be gone. He'll be out of here by week 10. No, we I, shall I'm, I'm see. Serious. Yeah, I, I got so. you, brother. I mean, I'm very impressed with the Giants. Very impressed with the Giants. Do they well, still I mean, have a – they don't have Robinson no more. Do they, the running back, did they get rid of him? They caught him? James Robinson. They yes. They still have him? So they're going to – they're rolling out with uh, Breida, Brightwell, and Barkley. And Eric Gray, who looks like he's going to be their opening day uh, kick returner. Yeah, I think the defense is going to take a big step forward. I also been watching Evan Neal. Evan Neal looks ten times better. Yeah. Uh, last year he was it was like a human totem pole, getting around him like crazy. He looks ten times better. He looks like he's got better footwork this year. You know. No, listen. Uh, uh, they got a tough Vinny, schedule too. Yeah, but uh, no, listen. I appreciate the call as always. Uh, we're definitely we'll start learning as we go uh, into this season with some of the changes teams have made late. Obviously, this news coming across tonight that Trey Lance is heading from San Francisco to Dallas. Um, the Dolphins are in on Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Kyler Murray looks like he might miss the season for the Cardinals. Uh, and then one other point: uh, multiple weeks with a hamstring injury. The talented wide receiver for the Denver Broncos. Uh, so things are. Things are heating up, uh, preseason finales this weekend, and then we get right to it, opening night. Uh, Lions from Arrowhead, the defending champs back on the field, should be a good one. As things continue to cook up in the NFL, so goes the same in the world of college football with a twist. The Big Ten announcing its 17th and 18th members in the conference, Washington and Oregon. They will join in 2024 USC and UCLA. More seismic movement. Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah deciding to join Colorado and heading off to the Big 12. All four of them will also make the move after the season. Yeah, that was the biggest uh, storyline leading up to the start of the college football season with weeks begins tomorrow, Saturday, August 26th. Uh, You've got all of this conference realignment in college football. So, Let's focus on the Pac-12 for a second. You got 12 teams in the Pac-12, hence the name. Eight of those teams this season will play their final years in the league, leaving them with four unless things change. League could just totally become obsolete. In addition to some of the other changes, ACC, Big 12, Big 10, tons of them. This season will also be the final year of the 14 college football playoff. The tournament's going to expand finally to 12 teams in 2024, and it's interesting how that will work. This opens college football so much more with a legitimate playoff. 12 teams, I would have clamored for 16. I can settle with 12. And the new format, you'll have two playoffs from different aspects of the country, which is huge beginning next year, the six highest ranked conference champions. After that, you'll get the six highest ranked teams. Again, this will start next year. Those four highest ranked conference champions are going to get top seeds. They'll also get a bye. Those other eight teams will play in that first round. The high seeds host, TCU, and you're the higher seed in that first round of the pool of eight. You'll host if you're a Notre Dame and you're in there, you'll host a playoff game in South Oklahoma, would host it in Norman, whatever it might be. You can host it on your own campus. 
or at your choosing. So this just magnifies what is good about college football. The negative is this realignment stuff. And it really upsets me when they say, well, it's about the student athlete. So it's about the student athlete. Well, you're, you're, you've got to, let's, let's use Rutgers as an example. Now you've got to go across the country to play UCLA. Because now you, you, you're going to be, they're going to join your conference in the Big Ten when UCLA makes that move from the Pac-12. So now Rutgers is going to play UCLA and vice versa. UCLA has got to go to Jersey from the coast of California to New Jersey. How's that benefit a student athlete? And most people will think about this from a perspective, a basketball perspective. How about the golf team? How about the, the women's lacrosse team or the soccer teams involved? Water polo, whatever it might be. It's matter too. Now, the NIL stuff, which I hate, all these deals, all these contracts, uh, money flying all around. The conference realignment is a, it's just another thing. To me, the optics don't look great. And when they try to sell it as benefiting the student athlete, you call it BS. In the end, hopefully it all works out because there's a beauty to this game uh, that the NFL doesn't possess. All right, You seldom find someone as passionate about college football as me. And a lot of this realignment stuff, it just doesn't sit well. Because you know what it's about. It's about the green. It's about the cash. It's about the coin. And that sucks. Hopefully, there's the path to getting legitimacy with this. I think the playoff format's going to help, but we won't know until next year. Living in the now, season starts tomorrow. First game of the day, Notre Dame-Navy in Dublin, Ireland. This is the third time they play out there. Notre Dame hammered them uh, the previous two times in 96 and 2012. This is year two of the Marcus Freeman era in South Bend. He's got a new quarterback, Sam Hartman, uh, the record setter coming over from Wake Forest. And this is something that Notre Dame has been missing for decades. Brady Quinn, I know, he lit it up. Jimmy Clausen put up good numbers. Ian Book, the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history. Got jack squat for it. Now you've aligned this quarterback with perhaps the best offensive line in football, a defense that gets after it, and a head coach who actually cares about his players. This tends to be the time where I get carried away and overly emotional because Notre Dame has ripped my heart out of my chest more times than I can count. But this is a good football team. It's a tough test going overseas to play at the Naval Academy, who's got changes of their own. Brian Newberry is going to debut tomorrow as Navy's head coach, following three seasons as defensive coordinator. Takes over for Ken Niamatololo, who did a hell of a job there for a decade plus. Right? Won a lot of games at the Naval Academy. Had high-ranked teams, a lot of bowl games. A couple wins over Notre Dame as well, which... Decades and decades ago was something that was unheard of. So the season will get underway with this Notre Dame, I think is a 21-point favorite. Uh, you've got some other Week Zero contests uh, across the board or into college football on this program as the season really gets into uh, the nitty-gritty. Some of the Week 1 games will start hammering away at next week. 
uh, on uh, our first September edition uh, of the show. But you got Heisman winner Caleb Williams in USC. Uh, USC starts the season ranked number sixth in the poll. Uh, they'll open at home at 8 p.m. on the East Coast on Pac-12 Network uh, with San Jose State. You don't see too much of a problem there for USC. Uh, also neglected to mention Notre Dame, when they take the field against Navy, they will start the season ranked third um, in the country. So that's pretty much where we are from an NFL, college football, MLB standpoint right now, right? On Friday, August 25th, NFL preseason wraps up this weekend, college football season this weekend. And we really start to really pay attention uh, to the standings here in Major League Baseball um, as the weeks uh, continue to go uh, on and on. Because this is a great time to be a sports fan. Um, and as we continue to move forward, we'll, we'll get some you know, really, really, really uh, interesting storylines as we move along. Around the world of sports, as we put a bow on today's edition of Sports Day with the Gagan Sports Championship going on. Uh, two rounds in. And you get some really good golf out there. These are the top 30 players in the world. Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa. I had a top leaderboard at minus 16. Morikawa Open. The course record time he won yesterday. And that's a big deal for Morikawa. Is outside of the automatic top six qualifiers of the U.S. Ryder Cup. U.S. European Ryder Cup is going to carry 12 each. U.S automatic automatic qualify and other captains collection. So this is big for Colin Morikawa who right now is outside of that top six in the US team rankings. Uh old right now Scotty Sheffler, Lyndon Clark, Ryan Harmon, Pat Cantley, Max Oma, and Xander Shot. So with Morikawa now in the mix here perhaps because a tour championship capture the attention of U.S. Captain um, Zach Johnson as we move into this Ryder Cup. It's certainly going to be interesting um, to keep an eye on. It's now this tour championship with Scotty Scheffler in the mix, Rory McIlroy in the mix. Um, there's going to be a lot of decisions to be made as far as the Ryder Cup is concerned. And a lot of what we learn could take place this weekend at the Tour Championship. Xander Shoffley, four back at minus 12. Keegan Bradley, three off the pace. Scheffler's two back at minus 14. You got John Rahm in there. Rory's back at minus 10. Wyndham Clark at minus nine. Pat Cantley at minus seven. And Lucas Glover, who's probably the hottest player on the planet right now, is right there at minus six. So there's a lot going on in sports. And just add in this Tour Championship as the finale in the FedEx Cup. And it just adds to everything that's going on um, really across the globe from a sports perspective. Uh, the Mets are going to retire. Dwight Gooden's number 16 and Daryl Strawberry's number 18 uh, next season uh, at, in separate ceremonies at City Field. So these are two legendary programs, uh, legendary players with the Mets organization um, that are going to get their due diligence Um after having great careers. I know the troubles that Gooden and Darrell had off the field, but certainly what they meant to the Mets franchise uh, knows no bounds. So Dwight and Darrell will have numbers 16 and 18, respectively, retired uh, next season in those, again, separate ceremonies uh, with those dates to be determined next season at City Field. Lionel Messi is in the area. 
Um, expected to play for Inter Miami Saturday against the Red Bulls. All right, out in Jersey. So that's certainly something if you're a soccer fan. This is huge news as Messi continues to put up uh, great statistics. Uh, Ten goals in his first seven games with Inter Miami, and now he's going to be in the New York, New Jersey metro area uh, playing, and we think he's going to play in the contest um, against the New York, New Jersey Red Bull. So it's certainly something to keep an eye on. Just want to thank everybody for calling in as per usual. Couldn't have had this successful show without you. Our call has been Mike. Everyone chiming in on social media, sending messages and listening. Again, if you can't catch the shows live, I put the little blurb in uh, to start the show. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Samsung, Google, iHeartMedia, and TuneIn Radio. Right? As always, I appreciate the support. Couldn't have done it without you. I'll be back same time, same place next Friday, September 1st, 7 p.m. on the East right here. It's Sports Today with Peter J. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the college football. It's back, and I'll talk to you again next Friday. Stay well. Today with Peter J.